You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show, and I am your host, Rick Franzi. Our first guest today is Dr. Thomas Turkey, is Associate Professor of Management at Chapman School of Business and Economics. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. All of our shows can be heard live exclusively on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, we encourage you to listen live during our broadcast times. The show is brought to you by our advertisers, Brandman University, Center Club, Decision Toolbox, MBN Design, Smart Business Magazine, S&H Rubber, Succession Strategies, Tone Software, and UPS Protection. The goal for the show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs running middle market firms, to improve your decision-making skills. And our first guest is certainly going to help you do that. Welcome to the show, Dr. Turk. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Let's start really easily by asking you to share a little bit about your professional and academic background. How did you get to the position of Associate Professor of Management at Chapman School of Business and Economics? Uh, Well, I've been a management professor for over 25 years. I received my Ph.D. at uh, UC Irvine in corporate strategy, so I looked at how incentives affect uh, top executive decision-making and how those decisions affect stockholders. And so I've done a lot of research on uh, mergers, hostile takeovers, alliances, that that sort of thing. Uh, In addition, I was to do some management training for a number of years with companies, how to be more successful and arrange management topics, but mostly focused on how you can get the most out of your employees, how you can get them to act more like owners and less like Bureaucrats. Is that an engaged employee? Would you consider that employee engagement then? I think like an act like an owner. Absolutely. Okay. Employee engagement is exactly exactly what it is. And uh, and I also worked at Texas A and M on their faculty before joining Chapman. About I see. Twenty, but I've been at Chapman for about twenty years now. So you were in Southern California for your PhD, then you ended up sometime in Texas, and then you came back. Came back. Yes. Which mm-hmm. is not a bad decision at all. No, it was Talking not. About decision making skills. There you yes. go. But I'm sure it was a great experience. I miss the food. <laughs> you do? Yes. The Tex-Mex, the barbecue, it's fantastic. Uh, 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 let's not start th- th- talking about food here. It's 4 o'clock or so, mm-hmm. and uh, lunch is uh, over a long time ago. All right. Well, you came to my attention through a mutual friend of ours, and uh, he suggested that the work that you're doing both in the classroom and in the business community would be interesting for our audience to learn about. So I wonder if you can talk to us, first of all, a bit about a book that I know that you've used called The Science of Success by Charles G. Koch, and he's one of the Koch brothers. And if you could tell us a little bit more about that book, how did you first discover it? And we're going to talk about it a lot throughout today because I think our audience of CEOs and middle market companies could benefit from the concepts of the book, The Science of Success. But let's start by kind of giving give us a sense for how you discovered this book in the first place. Uh, well, actually, I did a consulting project for Koch Industries about 20 years ago. Uh, they have a management philosophy they call market-based management, and uh, they want to do kind of a culture audit to see if people are really uh, adapting, applying the concepts the way they're supposed to mm-hmm. and what's working, what isn't. And so we interviewed probably 200 employees at Coke in, in a variety of locations, uh, and that's what really got me interested in the concept of, of market-based management. Uh, I, I come at management more from an economics perspective, uh, and so does uh, – market-based management. And so it really blends traditional management concepts with economic reasoning. And the the book, The Science of Success, came about a number of years later. It came out in, I think, 2007. And uh, it's really the story of how he built this company from $180 million in sales when he took over to over $100 billion today. And it's mostly about getting more out of the employees, getting them to act more like owners and less like Bureaucrats. That is um, almost hard to imagine. A hundred billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the average audience that we appeal to is from two to a hundred million. Mm-hmm. So we we consider the hundred million in the radio show here the top end. But that sounds right. like where the Koch brothers started with exactly. the business that they had responsibility for, and that has to be a very different challenge than mm-hmm. taking a business from one million 
to a hundred million, right? Going from a hundred million to multi billions, if not a hundred billion, that's huge. Uh, absolutely. You know, you know where the concepts from the book are going to be most useful is for not so much the startup firm, but once you hit that level where the founder can't do everything anymore. Mm-hmm. Where you uh, usually a typical entrepreneurial firm, the founder or the founding team, make all the key decisions. They know all, find all the customers. They make all the products. But as you get bigger and bigger, you find that you starting to make mistakes. You can't right. think strategically anymore. You can't get the product out the door, and the management team you've built isn't ready to step up because you've just given them orders mm-hmm. uh, and they become order takers so that at that stage the you know entrepreneur is at a dilemma do i bring in professional managers from larger organizations to bring in systems and budgets and all that sort of thing that strangle the company yeah and affect the culture and right if you start bringing in senior managers from the outside what's that say to the people that have been with you for the begin from the beginning yeah that have helped made you successful right uh the alternative is you work longer hours, run faster, and you know pretty soon just start looking for an exit. So right. this gives you a format for how you can shift responsibility throughout the organization, but do it in a way where you have some confidence people will use the uh, responsibility you're giving them to advance the interests of the company. Well, let's uh, talk about the term market-based management then because that is a – a concept that you talked about. It is in the book. It is the philo- underpinnings, I think, of the philosophy yes. from which the Koch brothers lead to drive and grow the company. So can you give our audience a sense for the basic values and information that's underneath the – and what does the term mean, market-based management? Okay. The term market-based management refers to making your company operate more like a market and less like a centrally planned economy. Uh, the first part of the book talks about their political – uh, economic uh, philosophy. And what they've observed is, as everybody has observed, is centrally planned economies are terrible at using resources. They're inefficient. They respond slowly. They don't meet the needs of customers. They're wasteful. Yet free markets are much better at uh, generating prosperity, generating innovation, and generating efficiency. And so they looked at what is it about a market that makes it an engine of innovation and prosperity. And how can we make our company operate more like a market and less like a bureaucracy? Uh, because the, I think this is kind of the key insight is most firms, especially large firms, operate more like a centrally planned economy, like the former Soviet Union, uh, than they do a free market, and they get similar results. You know, you brought that concept to my mind after I had come to meet with you, and you gave me a copy of the book to read. And I hadn't thought about it that way, but it's kind of the General Motors command and control mentality, right, where it's top-down and execution-oriented. And, and, and I can see having – you gave me that awareness that I hadn't mm-hmm. had before, and it's sort of an interesting dichotomy that we want free market and capitalism, but inside the business we want sort of a, a leadership style of a dictator almost. It, almost, yes. Mm-hmm. And so the question has always been – and this has been a problem for management – it's – on one hand, you know if you decentralize, if you empower people, they can do amazing things for you. They know they have information you don't have. Uh, they get it sooner. They can react faster. Right. But you also know it's not their money. And to just empower somebody with your money is taking a big risk. And so that's what uh, I think paralyzes people. They, want, they need a system by which they can shift authority to people who know what's going on in the marketplace – but do it in a way that's financially responsible, that has some controls that suggest they'll use their knowledge, their expertise, to advance the interests of the company rather than you know, perhaps their personal interests. Yeah, because in addition to your money, it's your reputation, it's your legal standing. I mean, employees can make decisions that, when you look at it, put your company at political, not just political, but uh, legal trouble too, right? I mean, they could break laws. Absolutely. If, if unguarded, unbridled, mm-hmm. sort of what we've seen sometimes with capitalism without a lot of control, sometimes right. it can turn out to be very dangerous. And if you had that in your company, I could see how people who built something go, well, I don't know if I want to give those people that much freedom. Exactly. And it, what's, what's interesting about it is they, uh, most people – uh, notice opportunities to create value that other people wouldn't. If you're the receptionist sitting at that desk for eight hours, you notice things about how you could operate more efficiently than the guy who walks by that desk a few times a day. Right. And it doesn't matter what their experience or education or background is. Everybody in the organization has information no one else has. 
they have experience experiences no one else has had, and they can create value in in ways that you wouldn't anticipate. Yeah, and, and releasing that good idea, those good ideas, and then acting upon them is part of the premise of the science of success, written by Charles G. Koch. And our guest is Dr. Thomas Turk, T U R K. He's associate professor of management at Chapman School of Business and Economics. So when we come back, I'm going to ask you to briefly go through the five dimensions, vision, virtue and talent, knowledge process, decision rights, and incentive that create the climate for people to consider the business like a marketplace, right? They're the underpinnings of the concept of market-based management. Great. All right. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. You don't want to miss that. Come back after these words from our commercial sponsors. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Today's businesses are embracing voice over IP telephones and unified communication desktop technologies to more effectively communicate and collaborate with their customers, suppliers, and colleagues. The Reliatel management software from Tone Software Corporation helps organizations of all sizes manage their communications technologies to ensure great voice quality and better levels of service and reliability throughout their business. Through Reliatel, you'll gain higher return on investment from VoIP and Unified Communications Technologies while lowering the associated operational support and maintenance costs. Learn more. Visit www.tonesoft.com or call 800-833-8663 for information on Reliatel by Tone Software, the solution for quality business communications. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Hey, did you know that over 73% of consumer packaged goods and retail products fail miserably within their first year? Why? Because they find themselves in the pit of unawareness. You don't want to go there. Call me, and I'll make sure that your packaging gets noticed. You know how I know? Because I'm the founder and creative director of MBN Design. We're one of Orange County's most established and trusted design firms. With over 20 years of experience, I can ensure that your brand will always stay new. Ask me how our packaging sold millions in months, or see for yourself other success stories on our website at www.mbndesign.com. We're MBN because we're making brands new. Call 714-458-8701 and talk to me, Hector Garcia. That's my cell, 714-458-8701. I'll be waiting for your call. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Franzi, Dr. Thomas Turk. Associate Professor of Management at Chapman School of Business and Economics is our guest. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 13,000 shows during the last 30 days. We were like 160 short of 14,000. But anyway, 
We here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. All of our shows can be heard live on octalkradio.net or rebroadcast anytime from iTunes, Stitcher.com, Spreaker.com, and other business-oriented podcasting services. All right, for those people that are just waiting to hear the five dimensions that underpin the concept of market-based management in Charles G. Koch's book, The Science of Success, Dr. Turk, can you take us through the concepts? Uh, sure. You, you, the thing to keep in mind in a market, you have prices, you have profits, and you have property rights. And those three elements give people the information, the incentives, and the authority to create value. And so the idea in, an or, in a market-based organization is to de-emphasize rules, procedures, budgets, job descriptions, and focus more on processes akin to the, the prices, profits, and property rights. And so the first one is vision. You've got to change people's attitude and focus them on the job, as, which I call a value-created mindset. Everybody's job in a market-based company is to add value. Everybody's got the expectation that they're supposed to come up with ways to make money for the company that no one else thought of. Uh, if you're in a supervisory role, your job is to create conditions where people are likely to come up with those ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I was watching, reading an article about uh, General Electric when they did workout, you know, where the people come to the factory and give ideas to the plant manager. Mm-hmm. And one of the plant managers said this was the worst day of his life because he had a constant stream of probably 100 employees coming up with suggestions for how they could be more effective. And he's got his bosses on the platform behind him that he can't look at to decide whether he should say yes or no. And he found this very stressful. I found that incredible. Mm-hmm. You have people coming to you, giving you ideas on how to make more money, and you consider that stressful. This is Christmas. Right. And he views this as a burden. In a market-based company, you want people who are going to be proactive about coming up with ways to create value. And if you're in a manager, being proactive about figuring out how to, how to apply them. So that's the vision part. Okay. The second part is you have to have an incentive to create value. And so that means... Uh, trying to the the, uh, the people that create the most value in the organizations are the ones that, that get ahead. Okay. And th- this one's the hardest one. In fact, uh, I do a survey on various concepts related to market-based management. One of the questions I ask is, uh, do you to what extent do you agree with the statement, the people that create the most value get ahead in this company? And that's the lowest scoring question. Okay. Usually, on average, people disagree. Mm -hmm. that statement. So you've got to change that. The people that are making things happen have to be the ones that get the raises, the promotions, the other opportunities. Uh, It undermines everything else in some ways if you don't think that's the case, right? Absolutely, it does. Uh, The third one is the knowledge processes. In addition to knowing it's your job to create value and having incentives to do it, you have to have the information to do it. Uh And this is one that, especially for middle market companies, they could implement tomorrow if they wanted to. And that is share more information Mm -hmm. about how your company makes money. What's the basic cost structure? If we sell one more unit, what do we get? Uh, What are our goals? What's our strategy? How do we compare to last year? Basic information like that is not widely known in organizations. Uh, I deal with middle managers. If you ask them, what are the four or five major strategic goals of your company – Two-thirds of them couldn't answer the question. Right. Well, how are they going to help you achieve those goals if they don't know what they are? Yeah, because a lot of middle market companies are private companies, and some of that, they get very sensitive about how much financial information to disclose. Well, you know, some of them worry about it's it uh, it ends up revealing private information about their wealth and that that sort of thing. Everybody that works for your company knows you make more than them. And if they share in the success that they help create... That's a source of pride. If they don't, yeah, yeah, they're going to be irritated. Right. So uh, I think that concern, though legitimate, is a little overplayed. I uh, think so, too. Uh, Especially if you're fair about it, you know what I mean? If you're real, relatively reasonable in how you show your personal wealth to your employees, I don't find it an issue in, in healthy organizations. It's unhealthy organizations that that becomes a a topic of water cooler conversation and resentment. It's exactly right. It's a symptom of that your organization's unhealthy. Right. It's it's not the cause. Uh, so in addition to then having the information to create value, the incentives, the you know it, it's your job. Next part is you've got to be the type of person who wants to create value. You need to be the type of person who thinks this is fun. That coming up with new ideas for how you can do things better, faster, cheaper is fun. 
if you're the type of person who comes up with an idea in an organization and your boss tells you, you know, we can't do it, cost too much, tried it before or whatever, yeah. if that frustrates you, yeah. that's who companies like Coke Industries want. If you're okay with that, then stay where you are. Okay. But they're looking for people that think this is this is fun. And, and frankly, most people do. Right. If, if you really listen to conversations people have, a large amount of it is arguing about what their company could do better. Now, sometimes it's done in a snotty tone, like my right. boss is so stupid, I can't believe they haven't thought of this. But that's what people do for fun is – swap stories about what their company could be doing to be more effective. Uh, in a market-based company, you want to capture that information and do something. Right. Uh, Nothing's more it. powerful than I put my suggestion in a suggestion box, mm-hmm. and next week it's up on the wall and being implemented. Uh, yes. And that's, you know, the, the incentive part is like gasoline, but acting on somebody's idea is enough to get people to generate more ideas. Right. Uh, right. That's the probably the key one. So finally, if you've got somebody who's got uh, knows it's their job to create value, has an incentive to do it, has the information to do it, has kind of the character where they enjoy doing it, uh, then giving that person the authority to commit resources is not all that scary. And kind of the key one with decision rights is make sure you're clear about where people's authority limit is. Just being clear about what their roles and responsibilities are, what they get to decide on their own, mm-hmm. and what they need your approval for, clarifying that alone will generate uh, more initiative, hmm. uh, and that's something that can be done, implemented in any company, you know, it, within a few days. It's amazing to me uh, to build on what you're saying. I'm talking with Dr. Thomas Turk, who's associate professor of management at Chapman School of Business and Economics. Uh, your company doesn't have to be very large for key employees to feel like they don't know what they need to know to serve you as the leader well. Mm-hmm. It, it, you, when you said one of the things that middle market companies can do tomorrow is start communicating more. I'm not sure a leader can over-communicate. Mm-hmm. As long as the communication is really intended to educate and share information and not position things and do whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you're really trying to explain the business to your employees, maybe they all won't care, but I think enough of them might care that you can make a difference. You know, The Gallup survey on employee engagement, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, you, you don't have to have 100% of the employees engaged to have an, empl- an engaged culture. You need more than half, right. right? And so it sounds like to me, and I guess my question is, from your research and the work that you're doing with middle market companies to help implement these kind of concepts, is that true, too, for the underpinnings of, the, of a market-based management? If you can just get a, a, a critical mass in the company going this direction – can you kind of sideline the people who maybe would never kind of buy into the vision and still be able to have a company that thrives on uh, this principle? Uh, you're exactly right. The more people that know what it takes for the company to be successful, what it's trying to achieve, the more they can come up with ideas to help you do it. And as you pointed out, if you get a critical mass, uh, then you can tip the culture, you can eject the viruses, and uh, – and uh, be a lot more effective. And uh, that, that's kind of one of the keys. And that, the thing is, it's free. It costs nothing. Incentives are hard to line up. Uh, sharing information is clarifying expectations, telling people where their authority limits are. That's almost free. Right. And uh, can have an enormous impact uh, on the value uh, that you create. Do you help companies to take these concepts and similar concepts and improve the performance of their business? Yes, yes. Okay. We've worked with a variety of companies, you know, providing the training and coaching on, on how to implement this. Okay. So if someone out there says, hey, the science of success sounds like a good book, but I think I'd rather talk to Dr. Turk in person because, you know, I'd rather have a practitioner than a theoretist, although uh, the Cokes are obviously practitioners too. How do they find you? How do they get in touch with you? What are, what's your online presence? Okay. They can contact me through my email at turk at chapman.edu. How do you spell that? Uh, T-U-R-K. Thank you. At uh, Chapman from Chapman University, C H A P M A N dot edu. That's the easiest way to catch me. Are you on LinkedIn? Uh, yes, I am. Okay. I'm also on LinkedIn. Okay, and, and they find you as Thomas Turk. Uh, Tom Turk. Tom actually. Turk. Okay. T O M. Yes. There you go. And we're out of time. I had a bunch of other questions to ask you, but we covered the substantive content of what I wanted to get to. I'm going to have to have you back some other time, though. Okay, I would love to. Thank okay. you. Well, thanks for being a friend of the program. Welcome to the Critical Mass Community. I'd like to thank Dan Lubeck for recommending you of Solus Capital Partners. You've been a great guest. We're going to have to take our second commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. And then our second guest for today's show, Jerry Fink of uh, Bascom Group, who's the managing partner, will be here in the studio. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after these words. 
it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. SNH Rubber is a manufacturing company in Fullerton, California. We specialize in custom molded, extruded, and stamped rubber parts. If your next job requires a rubber part, we would appreciate the opportunity to quote on it. We serve aerospace, automotive, and many other industries. We work with many types of rubber, including silicone, EPDM, neoprene, uninitrile, and viton. Our quality system is ISO and AS9100 approved. Over our 47 years in business, the SNH brand has become known for superior quality, quick turnaround, and competitive pricing. Please check out our website at www.shrubber.com or call 714-525-0277. Let SNH be your ceiling solution. If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO Peer Groups. CEO Peer Groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. As promised, Jerry Fink, managing partner at the Baskin Group LLC, is our focus guest for the next two segments. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from the experiences of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on the radio show may be the answer. Each month, our advertisers gain valuable exposure through their support of the program. Our exclusive prospect engagement program delivers up to 23 warm prospects to each of our advertisers each year. If you'd like to learn more, contact Rose Chamora, 951-515-4661. That's 951-515-4661. Don't call her right now because she's in the studio and I don't need her phone ringing while we're doing an interview with Jerry Fink. Welcome to the program, Jerry. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Let's start simply by asking you, share a little bit about your professional background. What did you do before you became the managing partner at the Bascom Group? Well, before starting the Bascom Group with my two other partners, uh, David Kim and Derek Chen, I worked at Pacific Life Insurance Company in their real estate department. And uh, they're a very large company. They did a lot of institutional real estate uh, buying and selling properties across the country, uh, mainly larger institutional assets. And I started my career... uh, going to school in real estate, and that's where I met my two uh, two partners. So I went to school in real estate, started my career at Pacific Life Insurance Company as a real estate analyst, uh, worked there for five years, and in 1995-96, uh, got together with my uh, partner David Kim and Derek Chen, and we put a business plan together to capitalize off the real estate market in California back in the mid-90s when it was depressed. Right. What a time to start. So, But you saw an opportunity. 
Exactly. Back in the early 1990s, uh, the real estate market crashed. Yeah. No different than 2008 to 2009. And so we saw the opportunities that were out there, and we mainly focused on Southern California. Uh, you had def- defense layoffs. You had a national recession. You had fires, riots. You name it in Southern California. Home prices dropped 30%, 40%. So we thought it would be a perfect time in the real estate cycle to acquire, reposition, and renovate uh, value-added multifamily properties. So is let's fast forward to today in the Baskin Group. Are those three elements still pillars of what the Baskin Group does? You said acquire, reposition, and renovate? Is That's that still the philosophy? Yeah, we really we look to uh, buy from distressed sellers or sellers that have not put the capital in their properties to maintain that. Second is we look to uh, renovate or reposition the properties. And third is we stabilize it and ultimately sell it for hopefully a profit. I see. And you focus on what sector? Uh, multifamily communities. And typically those are 50 units and larger. Okay. And uh, uh, our typical property size might be a 200 to 300 unit community. Okay. Typically built in the 1970s or 1980s. And it's and it's showing its age? It's showing its age. And you know, one time it was a Class A property, but... Right. You know, 10, 20, 30 years, and it's no different than your house where if you don't put the money into it and uh, don't reinvest, upgrade your kitchens and your flooring, your bathrooms, uh, these properties can, you know, get tired. And so they need, as we describe it, sometimes a facelift to bring it back to modern standards. And does that mean that during tough economic times, from a housing market perspective, the Bascom Group has more of an opportunity, or is there always an opportunity for what you're doing? Well, two things. We, we believe there's always an opportunity because we look for mismanaged properties. We look for distressed properties. We look for areas going to add value. But we think this great recession that happened in um, or occurred in 2008, <clears throat> we thought, really presented one of the best opportunities of our lifetime. It must have. And because this is a, you know, once in a 500-year type flood, so to speak. Let's hope. Where we, we think so. From your lips to... Exactly. Right. And we just saw incredible opportunities that happened. And so even though we had, you know, had our own share of challenges in the downturn, our goal was to really, you know, benefit off some of the opportunities that happened in the downturn. And what happened in the downturn, too, we saw with a lot of sellers is that they uh, withheld on capital improvements. And because the rents were lower and their expenses were higher and they had higher vacancy, a lot of owners didn't have the cash flow to put back into property. So a lot of these assets out there and uh, multifamily properties out there didn't get the reinvestment of capital. Right. And it's no different than a homeowner who may have a roof that's 15, 20 years old and it's failing. You know, when times are tight, you're not replacing it. But then leaks start happening and other things start happening. And so it really creates some tremendous opportunities from a perspective of just the the universe of um, potential deals out there. Well, across all industries during the Great Recession, cash was king, right? And if you had cash, it was really hard to spend it because it was sort of a security blanket for a business. So I'm sure uh, people that are multifamily, multi-tenant properties were the same way. It's like, do I really want to take that added risk of spending my cash when I don't know what the future holds. Exactly. Now, now you sell, the Baskin Group yeah. sells the property after you take it through this process? Is That's that- correct. You know, the first step is to obviously do due diligence, acquire the property, close on it. Second is to renovate it and upgrade it where we put capital improvements in. And third is, once it's stabilized, uh, to hire a broker, market it, and get the best price. And at that time, we looked to sell to a buyer that you know, may not want an older property. They want a property that's renovated and fixed up, that's got stabilized occupancy where they can get a consistent cash flow. I don't want to ask confidential questions, but it would seem to me that smart investors might be sitting on the other side of your process waiting for you to deliver them this renovated uh, property. Do you have ongoing relationships with key people that are sort of waiting for you to do this kind of work? We do, and there's there's no shortage of buyers of multifamily properties because the one challenge in the world today is finding attractive yield. And people view uh, apartments today as a great way to get great cash on cash returns, and you've got the upside with improving rents and the recovering economy. Right. So apartments are in high demand by investors today. And they especially like apartments that are stabilized and well-occupied with no deferred maintenance. So, and, and there, there's there been articles and talk about how um, we may become more and more of a renter 
society than a homeowner society. You know, the United States is kind of unique in its level of homeownership, but the, the recession and student debt, there's a whole bunch of factors that suggest that less and less people may be buying homes. So is that good for your industry? It's then? great for industry, and you touched on a great um, kind of point in our cycle demographically, and it's a couple things. One is the millennials, which are the young people coming out of high school and college, uh, a lot of them don't have jobs. So they're living at home with their parents, staying in the basement. They're doubling up with additional roommates. And typically, when the economy is good, they get a job, they get a one-bedroom apartment, they move out on their own. And then when they work a couple of years, they get married, they buy a house. And the great housing crash has changed a lot of that for people where they say, I'm not sure I want to buy a home. I'm, it takes a lot of down payment. The banks are stricter today. It may not go up in value. And so a lot of younger people have negative experiences to buying homes because they lost money or they saw their friends or parents lose money. And so a lot of uh, younger people today like the flexibility of living in an apartment because if they change jobs, they can quickly move. And and we're finding a, a shift in America from owning a home was the American dream to maybe I want to be less you know, tied down and be more flexible. Right. Quality of life. Yeah, I don't exactly. need to stress. Or I may just not have the money to buy a house. Right. And to buy a house in Orange County where... You know, a home might cost four to six hundred thousand dollars. You're talking eighty to one hundred twenty thousand dollars down payment, which the younger person doesn't have the capital to do that. It's hard to get in. So, I got to ask you then, Jerry Fink, managing partner of the Baskin Group LLC, how can you not make money on every property that that you invest in? You must. Well, I wish it was that easy. (laughs) Sounded you made it sound that easy. You got macroeconomic forces. You got great. supply and demand you got buyers sure and i think the the challenge uh for us and for a lot of people in our space is it's very competitive okay. so i mean the secret's okay. out and <laughs> the secret's out it, yeah. It, yeah there's no secret to it so <laughs> and I, I think the one thing about our industry is it's got fairly low barriers to entry you can buy a, a duplex you can buy a fourplex you can buy a, a smaller building so you can start small you can even right. start buying a condo and you can buy it renovate it you know, hopefully sell for a profit and buy a, an eight unit. So our industry has a lot of people that aren't necessarily professional uh, owner-operators that have gotten into the business because they may have had a, a job by day, but they want to get into real estate. So there's a lot of competition. Uh, you know, once you get into the larger properties, the, the competition is, you know, thinner because you need more capital. Right. Uh, I think the one thing that we're not mentioning is owning real estate, even though it seems easy on the surface, it takes an incredible skill set. It takes a a team of great operational people to run the property. And it's a, effectively a small business. You've got, a, a say, a 300-unit building that may have three to five people living there you know, per unit. You might have 900 to 1,500 people living in your community. Mm. That's a small city. Yes. And so it really takes uh, a lot of work and a lot of heavy lifting by you know uh, our company and the operational team to kind of push rents, keep expenses low, keep the building full. And so it's it's not as easy as it may look on the surface. Yeah, because it's not a vacant building where you're doing all this renovation, it sounds like, right? You it, want the cash flow to keep coming in, I would assume. So it, exactly. You're so dealing the, with a lot of people. It, it, yeah. and that's the goal. And you want to, you know, you're always out there trying to find ways to reduce expenses. Sure. To, to raise, it's a business. And it's, right. um, as we tell people, you know, if you were buying a $20 million business, you would have a CEO and a full staff. And you know, it's not uncommon that an owner buys a $20 million property and has his nephew be the on-site manager. <laughs> <laughs> on that point, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take our, our third and final commercial break on Critical Mass Radio Show. Jerry Fink, managing partner of the Bascom Group and one of the co-founders back in 1996. When we come back, we're going to talk about your firm's selection as a finalist for the Ernst & Young of the Year, Entrepreneur of the Year here in Orange County. So don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back with Jerry Fink after these words from our commercial sponsors. There's something positive about the word up. When things are looking good, they're looking up. When someone's down, you cheer them up. So how do you move up? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up, Brandman University. Brandman is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top 10 universities for online bachelor's programs. Brandman's online graduate programs in business and education also receive top honors. So look us up at brandman.edu. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. 
as one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals. Under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. UPS Protection has been protecting systems in the U.S. against brownouts, blackouts, and poor quality power for over 25 years. We provide power protection systems, including UPS, lighting inverters, generators, and service for clients from coast to coast. We specialize in solving all your power needs. As a direct reseller of the best brands in the industry, including Liebert, Powerware, and APC, we can solve all your power protection needs. Protecting your power is our main goal. We offer on-site or depot repair of our critical equipment. To better serve your budget constraints, UPS Protection also offers both reconditioned and new products. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, Jerry Fink. Managing partner of the Baskin Group LLC is our guest for this segment. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who are CEOs of middle market firms who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 13,000 shows during the last 30 days, and we appreciate that here, your continued and growing support. Of course, all of our shows can be heard live on octalkradio.net or rebroadcast anytime from iTunes, Stitcher.com, Spreaker.com, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com, and other business-oriented podcasting services. All right, Mr. Fink, uh, let's talk about the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year for Orange County. Can you tell us a little bit about the process? Kind of Just give us a sense for what that was like. Well, the process is a couple-month process, and they start with, I think, it's 80 or 90 potential applications. And uh, they go out and they visit each firm. So they send a team of five or six people out to your firm. It's a two- to three-hour interview. And from those 80 or 90 applications, they narrow it down to, say, 50 or so uh, potential applicants. And uh, they go through another round of interviews. And uh, you've got a speed dating process where they invite former past uh, winners. And they've got about 20 or so past winners that act as judges. And so that's about a six- or seven-hour speed dating where you spend, uh, I think it's 10 minutes with each judge. And uh, these judges are all entrepreneurs, very successful people. So they're very good at asking the questions to narrow down the pack to the best group. But it's a, 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 a tremendous group of entrepreneurs, very successful people. So it was a true honor just to kind of get through that process. Uh, but we made it as a finalist and uh, ultimately got to the, the final night and, uh, you know, became a finalist to the, the award show. And it was a, a a pretty proud moments. So. Okay, now you're you're mincing your words because you said finalists twice, but they're not the same. Okay. What what happened the night of the award? Uh, we didn't win, but okay. uh, we were a finalist, and uh, they had some impressive winners at the the final show. Okay, and what category were you in? Uh, we were in real estate. Okay, and do you think this is something that the Bascom Group will be involved in next year? Oh, definitely. It's uh, as any good entrepreneur, you keep trying and trying until you succeed. So. Right. Because the the competition at that level to, is such, it's so, I mean, it really is the cream. In my oh, tremendous. We got uh, beat out by a company called Auction.com. Okay. And I'm sure you've seen their flyers or websites. They auction off homes and buildings. And a tremendous company, tremendous CEO that runs that company. Um, so I think it, it was an honor to get beat by a, a great company. Exactly. Yeah. And you learn yeah. a lot the first time or the second time through those competitions, don't you? I mean, no, it sounds it, stressful in some ways, too. You know, and I, I view it as a great process to go through we met a lot of great entrepreneurs uh it's very inspiring to see other people that are successful go through it yes so we enjoy the process we enjoy meeting the judges and enjoy meeting the other um uh, finalists so it, it's something we're going to keep doing until hopefully we win it one year there you go you heard it here first ladies and gentlemen on critical mass radio show from the lips of jerry pink managing partner of the baskin group uh, i'd like to ask our guests about their guiding principle let me frame it for you You've learned a lot of business lessons in the years that you've been in business, and certainly since 1996 when you and your partner started your firm. Um, have you have you developed kind of an overarching belief system? I call it a guiding principle, a philosophy about how you lead and grow the business, and if so, can you share that with our audience? Sure. We, uh, 
they've always strived to hire people that are smarter and better than we are. So we want to find people that, you know, we can hire and they can do better things than we can do individually, whether it's a, a better contractor, a better attorney, a better vendor, a better analyst, uh, a, a better asset manager. We try to find people that are have those skills that enhance our skills and are, are better than we are so that our team gets stronger as we bring those people on board. Second is we want to empower them not only with the responsibility uh, to do their job, but the authority to do their job. And so if, they've, are, if they're running a you know, $30 million asset, you know, which is a tremendous responsibility, we want to give them the authority to make the decisions that count. Hmm. A lot of companies, you get a lot of responsibility, but you have no authority. You know, we want to match the responsibility with the authority. Uh, and third is we want to make our younger people, show them that there's a path to success and to wealth. Um, we've obviously had a very successful kind of road during our company, and we want the young people to be able to achieve those same uh, objectives and, and results that we did. And so we try to encourage that. Uh, we All of our employees participate in um, the investments, and if they succeed, we hmm. share the profit among the team. Wow. That's that's exciting to hear. That's great. We were talking about employee incentives earlier with Dr. Tuck from Chapman University, and that sounds like that's right in line with building an engaged workforce. So um, what suggestion, advice would you give an entrepreneur who's considering real estate as a career? And it may not be in your sector of real estate, but you've been all over real estate for a long time. You've seen the good and the bad. Any advice to young entrepreneurs? My advice would be to get your education. So whether it's the, a brokerage license, whether it's taking real, certain real estate designations like the CCIM or other designations, is you know read out books, take the classes, get the designations, get the education first. Second, find a company that is doing what you'd like to do, and work for them mm. and and learn what they're doing. And get the experience kind of on their nickel while you're a young person or just learning out. And uh, third is, you know, find mentors in the business that are successful real estate people and, and approach them and saying, I, I'd like you to be my mentor. And can you help me? Give me guidance. You know, you were a young person uh, or beginning in this world at one point. How did you get from point A to point B? And, right. and help me through that. And I think those are all. Uh, and fourth, I think, is you work hard. And whether you work for your company or investor is always strive to outperform and create value, whether it's your partner, lender, or company, is do something that adds value to them. And if you do that, it's going to add value to that person. Wow. Thank you. That was very thoughtful and well thought out. And that was off the cuff, right? So obviously, it's not the first time you've thought about that. And I appreciate you saying that, Jerry. Last question here on Critical Mass Radio Show for today. What's the future hold for the Bascom Group? Uh, the future for the Bascom Group is we want to continue to grow our brand, uh, which means expanding nationally. Okay. Uh, second is uh, we're entering other markets. So we're entering uh, industrial and office oh, and right. retail, and we have an executive suite company. So even though our core business is multifamily, which is apartments, uh, we're in other product types like commercial. And we've done that by finding partners that are experienced in those businesses and uh, – uh, lending them our balance sheet, our capital, our track record to get them started so that they can create you know, their version of the Bascom Group and, and we can be a part of it. Hmm. The balance sheet is a really important aspect of your business, isn't it? It is. And I think it's, you know, it's great to go out and buy real estate, but you need money to do it. <laughs> and uh, so it's, it's the one little missing ingredient is yeah. you need a lot of capital. The dirty secret, huh? The dirty secret. <laughs> and as I tell people, you know, when and Dave, Derek, and I started – we didn't have the capital, uh, but we had a lot of energy, and we had hard work and a business plan, and you put the three together. And if you find an opportunity, put a business plan together and show that you can execute the business plan, there's a lot of capital out there, and you've got to go find them and pitch your business plan and convince them that you've got a great business plan. But the capital out there, they want to find entrepreneurs. They want to find people that can execute because you know, they may be older, they may not have the resources, you name it, right. capital is always looking for an opportunity. Right. And so would you say uh, 
that in 2016, a set of entrepreneurs could do the same thing that you and your partners did starting in 1996. Is there still that opportunity to get into the space and create a business like the Baskin Group? Definitely. And the one advantage to real estate is it's the biggest asset class in the world. So you can go just about any market. You can always find an owner who is not raising his rents. You can find an owner who is absentee that maybe not leasing his units. You can always find an owner that is too cheap to replace carpeting or paint his building. And you can drive down any street in Orange County that's got apartments on it, and you'll see a building and go, man, that is a bad owner. You know, He's got wow. weeds growing in the front yard. Wow. His rents might be 800 for one bedroom, and the market is $1,000 for one bedroom. So the market is so big, and there's so many inefficient and inexperienced or just poor owners that there's always opportunities for the investor to get in and create value. Wow. That's fantastic. If someone would like to learn more about your story, the firm, how do they find the Bascom Group online? Well, you can go to our website, and it's bascomgroup.com. And, uh, how do you spell that? Uh, B-A-S-C-O-M-G-R-O-U-P.com. Okay. Uh, second is you can call us at 949-955-0888. My extension is 11. Feel free to call me. Wow. And uh, you can call me or call anybody else in our office and, you know, Tell them you're interested. Tell them you'd like to learn more about real estate. Perfect. We're pretty open. Tell me the name. How did you guys decide in the name? Uh, the Bascom, well, Bascom Hill is a hill in the center of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and it's where the business school was located. The hill is very steep. It's about a 45-degree walk-up. So if you attended the University of Wisconsin, which you know some people have, it's a very it's a hill that has fond memories of hiking up there in you know, sub-zero weather. People, uh, people will take their lunch trays and sled down it. Sorry. So it's a, uh, but it's the okay. center of campus. And, and David Kim, Derek Chen, and I all went to school at the business school. And we I thought, it hey, it's the Bascom Group. So cool. I love that. You kind of bring the past into the future. That's great. Yep. All right. Well, I want to thank you for being a friend of the program. Thanks for being a thoughtful interviewee, and I've enjoyed having you on the show. Welcome to the Critical Mass community, Jerry well, Fink. Thank you for the opportunity. Our pleasure. pleasure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to wrap it up for this show. I'd like to thank our advertisers. for Without them, we wouldn't be here right now. Brandman University, Decision Toolbox, MBN Design, Smart Business Magazine, SNH Rubber Succession Strategies, Tone Software, and UPS Protection. Our engineer for today is Paul Roberts. Crystal Nunley is our producer. Kathleen Shepard, our guest coordinator. Asia Celestino is our event manager and our marketing strategist. And Melissa Padani is our social media manager. Our VP of sales is none other than Rose Chamara. And I'm your host, Rick Franzi. If you'd like to learn more about Critical Mass for Business, maybe refer a future guest or advertise. Contact us through criticalmassforbusiness.com. Until the next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 